Welcome to Fireside Breakdowns. I'm John. And I'm Robin. Together, we research and break down complex and timely topics facing our society and bring our findings to you every week. Our promise to you is to bring you honest analysis backed by research, to skew our bias towards what can be factually supported, and to try and make it clear when we're giving our opinion versus speaking about actual research. Naturally, we're human. We have blind spots and biases, and they will show through. But our goal isn't to convince you to think any certain way. We want to give everyone a foundational understanding of these complicated topics so that together we can discuss and address them in a thoughtful, beneficial way. Because of the topics that we cover, some of our episodes might get heavy, and some topics might seem divisive. But we believe that even on these issues, common understanding can be found. And we hope that those of you listening agree. We don't accept that the current state of society is the way that it must be. Together, through discussion and on common ground, we can build a better world for ourselves and for future generations. So we suggest getting comfortable and maybe having a good drink on hand as we work through this stuff. Welcome to our fireside. specifically, is a dry red wine episode. I've got an Argentinian Carmenere over here um, because the, the topic that we're covering this week is deep and we're going to ask you to get introspective and to be really honest with yourself. And, well, that's what red wine is good for. I myself went with a truly, but uh, <laughs> that's just because I'm trying to get rid of them. I also <laughs> had a big cup of coffee. Um, today we're talking about the transgender experience. We're not going to focus on history or science in this episode. We're going to talk about individuals, two individuals, actually, one of them, a dear friend of mine, and another one, a person that I never had the opportunity to meet, but, um, their stories, their stories share a lot, and I think will be illuminating, I hope, I hope, will be illuminating to everybody listening to this. Let's just get into this. This week, we have managed to secure, um, much to our delight and joy, um, the expertise and knowledge of Andy Sun, who is an old friend of mine. I have known for over a decade, because I'm old enough to say that now, um, and probably one of the most thoughtful, kind, and multifaceted talent powerhouses that I that I personally know. Um, I legitimately can't talk Andy up enough. So if you ever have the distinct privilege of meeting, uh, you you do your best to treat. Treat her, treat her good, okay? Andy, we brought you on this show to talk specifically about um, the, well, broadly, transgender issues in the United States and in the world right now, but very specifically about something that's ongoing in all of our hometown, this weekend especially. And I was hoping that you could 
tell us a little bit about who you are and why we have you on the show and then um, what prompted this interview, this discussion. Sounds great, John. Um, my name's Andy Sun. I use she, her pronouns. And before I get into that, I just wanted to say um, just what an honor it is to be on this podcast. I'm a big fan of both of you and Robin's work, and I've been following Fireside Breakdowns since it began, and it's just the quality level is so high, and there's not enough people on this. Um, and so I'm glad to get in on the ground floor, and I just hope this keeps on going because what you both offer to this world is just so special. Well, that's very kind. I'm, 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 I'm blushing. Aw, can confirm, John's blushing. You know, I just wish I was here for like a better reason. Um, I'll begin and say that I have all the qualities and credentials that hopefully um, an expert on a local subject could have. I am a local nonprofit president of my city's branch of PFLAG, so PFLAG Springfield, Missouri. Before that, I was already doing lots of activist and advocacy work pretty much for any organization that needed help any particular cause from racial justice to standing rock to politics and just a lot of bullshit. <laughs> Basically anytime there's bullshit around and they need extra hands on the ground, you know, I'm there, whether that is in a organizational leader capacity or literally taking out the trash, which I have done on occasion. Um, there's no such thing as a small job in this type of work. And I really believe that, but, um, you know, I don't know if I'm actually the best person to come today because the reason why I'm here is because of the recent murder of a black trans woman named Dominique Lucius that happened last Thursday and the upcoming vigil that we have this Sunday for her. Ideally, you would have a black trans or genderqueer person sitting here instead of me, but I have been elected by my community because Every single one of those leaders that I know that fits those same qualifications, they're so tired and vulnerable and just needing to hone in and heal themselves and, and, and be there for their families right now. So I am um, a person who has capacity, who has some amount of media training so I can talk and hopefully um, you know, continue the conversation, further the message, and hopefully not you know, shoot myself in the foot or something as I'm speaking. And of course, it's always so nerve wracking. And I'll, I'll tell you, it's really unfair because, you know, you know this, John, but like being one of the only openly out trans, uh, genderqueer, Asian Americans in my city, people tend to think that I speak for the whole community, even when I'm trying just to live my daily life. So mm -hmm. this kind of work isn't new, but... Um, and it's hard. And thankfully, you know, I feel like I have the capacity for it right now. So I'm, I'm so honored for the platform and I'm, I'm grateful to get the message out there. We are grateful that you uh, took some time out of, I know it is a very busy schedule. I've been following along with the planning that's been going on. Again, a powerhouse in many, many ways. So you mentioned that one of the ideal people to talk about this would would be a, a black transgender person, but also that that those leaders currently are exhausted. And I'm sure that is on many different levels. One of the things, one of the topics that we talk about a lot uh, on Fireside Breakdowns is the concept of intersectionality. Mm -hmm. And you sit at a, a 
very unique intersection in that, um, as you said, you are an Asian American uh, transgender woman. And I don't know that a lot of people would be able to distinguish fully how that is different from a, a, a different minority transgender woman, because I think, like you said, a lot of people assume that a minority speaks for the entirety of the population whenever they do speak, which as a, as a, as the, 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 like most (laughs) privileged population on the planet right now, white cis dude, I, I can understand how somebody who doesn't have the experience and the benefit that I do of knowing people that, that occupy these intersections would not understand how nuanced that difference is. Could you speak for just a few moments about what makes you different? What, what is the distinguishing um, characteristics? What are the distinguishing characteristics? And, and why it is still powerful for you to occupy this space right now um, in the case of Miss Lucius? So the first thing I want to start with is that while I'm going to talk about the difference that maybe your average listener and me have, I really want them at the end of the day to realize that there isn't a great divide between whoever's listening to me and myself. At the end of the day, you know, a lot of the work that transgender people do, that people who have been racialized do is just to be seen as human, to be seen as equal, and to be seen as people capable of having joy, sharing community with, being neighbors with, being friends with, being family with. So while I'm going to talk about some of my specific experiences and how that may differ from other people, at the end of the day, I'm just another human being. Mm -hmm. So my identity is important to me, but it's not all of me. Like I think a lot of, like maybe Robin, you might say, um, some identities like being a mom, I'm sure means a lot more to you day to day than your skin color. If you're like Mm me. Yeah. So for me, um, I am Chinese Filipino. You know, that means that my skin tone is a little darker than people. That means that I was of course in the States in the Midwest told things like, you must be really good at math and um, <laughs> told that I'm smart, even if you don't even see any of my essays or my, or my grades or anything. And I'll tell you that um, those types of stereotypes actually become in some ways self-fulfilling prophecies, like you want to live up to being called smart. But then it also adds to a lot of pressure that you feel because, um, you know, people make a joke like uh, a B is an Asian F or something like that. and um the reason why those stereotypes exist isn't because asians are smarter necessarily but because a lot of our parents are immigrants and i don't know about um what viewers parents might have told them but my parents told me very clearly at a young age if you work twice as hard and keep your head down you'll be safe and so later today i'm going to be talking a little bit about how this trans violence that happened 
very much evokes the Asian violence that's happening around the country right now and how it feels like there's some sort of pact that's been broken in the country right now where working twice as hard and keeping your head down isn't enough anymore. And then before I get to that, I'll talk about my transgender identity because I don't think you've had the opportunity yet to cover much transgender or genderqueer issues. Am I correct? We have not. So I feel so honored. Um, So for anyone in the audience who doesn't know what transgender means, it basically just means that the gender that I was assigned at birth, the doctor telling me that I was a boy, is not something that I relate to when I grew up and what I found to be true for myself. So right now um, I use she, her pronouns. That's why I mentioned those at the start, just to make sure that that's clear, because I'm also a type of transgender person that you'd say doesn't pass. So a passing transgender person might be like a transgender woman who you couldn't tell that they weren't a woman unless, you know, they told you. Whereas for myself, um, I obviously have traits and characteristics of what we would call like biologically male, although, you know, the language is ever changing. So we're trying to um, find ways to, to affirm people's genders instead of put them in boxes. But, you know, for the average person, uh, for like, if I go to a dentist or to a doctor's visit and they ask me what my gender is, I will write down, I am biologically male, but I identify as female. And there's a lot of nuance behind this thing. One um, of the most important lessons I think I've ever learned has been that our brains are basically really lazy. (laughs) When we see another person, we want to put them in a box right away. Is this person smart? Is this person dumb? You know, are they a man? Are they a woman? Do they have brown hair? Do they have blonde hair? Could they be my friend? Are they a potential enemy? You know, this stuff happens like from evolution and like they come from a place where we're just trying to survive. But hopefully in like, you know, a democratic society in a place where we value education and and justice and the pursuit of happiness, we want to create more spaciousness around how we see people and how how we let ourselves be and exist in this world. So a lot of transgender people aren't um, to play into a few stereotypes. We're not trying to rock the boat. We're not trying to, um, oh gosh, just do this for attention. We do this because, at least for myself, My identity is a key facet to knowing who I am, and I so desperately want people to understand me and to know me and to feel understood in this world. And I couldn't do that when I was in the closet, when I wasn't telling people who I was, when I hadn't even discovered myself because I didn't give myself that chance or that time. So being transgender is more than just wanting to be seen as a woman. It's wanting to be seen as a full human being. It's it's about being seen for... Um, to me, the gentlest, the most vulnerable parts of me and just like and offering that to the world. Something I think might be a common mis- misunderstanding that I would like to address up front before we get deeper into the, the meat of things is that every transgender person wants to have a sex change operation <laughs> and that a sex change operation is necessary to being transgender. Um, I think also that there's this mis- misconception that it is a like a switch that got flipped that you that transgender folk wake up one morning and they're like, "Oh, you know what? I don't feel like a dude anymore. Gonna go put on a dress." Which 
I think does a great disservice to our transgender population mm-hmm. because it completely ignores the massive societal pressure that we have to conform to those mental shortcuts that we that you talked about earlier that our brains are designed to to use in order to keep us alive out in monkey brain jungle mm-hmm. and it doesn't really adapt well to society and civilization so this idea that it's um that it's a switch completely ignores the fact that it's such a scary thing to do for somebody there's a lot of pressure to stay in the closet to not admit it to fight it because it it because it does bring attention to you as a person but it's not good attention unfortunately in our society it brings a lot of negative pressure a lot of bad attention by no fault of of you or the person but by fault of society and the way we've been conditioned to view people well and you're even being too kind because some people what call it a mental illness or something well yes i mean just just speak in the room and, and throughout this conversation i just want you to be frank with me because like you know we don't get further in conversation until we talk about things right well i i think there are largely two different groups of people um that 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 perceive a, a trans or a, a, I should say a non-cis or non-hetero person. Because oh, wait, it, John, what's so the cis person mean? I thought you were oh, going okay. to be the one to ask me. To yeah, make definition, so. okay, way to get me. Um, <laughs> it, it just means that I identify um, with the sex or with the gender that I was assigned with at birth. I don't feel that um, that body dysmorphia, that that disconnect between what i see in the mirror and how i feel in my heart i was gonna ask you what body dysmorphia means john all right so i'll (laughs) I'll do a few little bit explaining to touch on your points and then we can what i really don't want to get away from is dominique lucius's death and so there's not one transgender experience and that's what's so very interesting there's a reason why it's lgbtq plus and then that plus can mean numerous things and you keep on adding letters and even I get confused at times and I have to Google it up. And that's because we just discover that there are all kinds of people in the world. And who knew that those, that each of these people want to be, you know, seen and treated with dignity and in the same way that, you know, they view themselves as. So as speaking, as far as like the common transgender experience, it really depends. Some people, like you said, suffer what's called body dysmorphia where um, the gender, their physical features, don't match up with what they believe they should have. So like some transgender women do want to have a boob job. Some of them want to, you know, have a lower surgery where they, um, they're called gender affirmation sur- surgeries, not correction, but affirmation because we already know it to be true. And that's one place that I think that has been really cool about the trans justice narrative. In the past, we would always just be on the defensive. But these days, you know, I would say, John, like for the most part, a lot of those questions is like, Instead of putting the burden on the transgender person to answer and explain, mm-hmm. the world's a bigger place now. Look it up on the internet and hopefully find yeah. kind places, you know, when you look. Yeah. Um, but since I'm on the well, talk I'm definitely, show. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm definitely uh, exerting some privilege here to, to have you answer sure. these questions but with yeah, us. Yeah, since I'm in the talk show and I have volunteered myself to talk, you know, if, 
if you have a transgender friend, please ask before, you know, for permission before you ask these types of questions. But since I, I volunteered, I, I do want to answer. So for me, um, I actually consider myself a gender queer person. So I, I'm not just, just a woman. I'm also mm-hmm. a man and I'm somewhere in between. And um, when I talk to my dad, he's a math professor. He's like, you can be a man or a woman, but not in between. There's no such thing. And I'm, I'm here to say that, dad, yes, there is such <laughs> thing. And he has since understood me. But um, so for me, I feel both man and woman. And I feel it pretty close to um, equal in between. More of a woman than a man. But I spent the first 31 years of my life being seen as male by the majority of people and, and, you know, and, ex- and expressing myself as a man. And I feel like that woman side of me is like this plant that has been, you know, put in the closet, literally kept out of sunlight and not watered properly. So these days I do what's called a social transition, which is um, I wear feminine clothes. I keep my face shaved. I have a purse. I know I don't actually have to do those things to be a woman because being a man or a woman is entirely like up to you. If you're if you tell me you're a man. I'll believe you. And if I tell you I'm a woman, I expect you to believe me, even if I may not look like your idea of a woman. Hmm. But um, I do those things because, and here's the coolest part about being transgender. There's this thing called gender euphoria. And it's when you look at yourself in the mirror and maybe for the first time in decades, you see yourself and you like the person you see in the mirror and, or you just feel like this, full body like awe of yourself and you know because of the society we live in because it is so difficult to be transgender what comes along with that feeling of seeing yourself is this immense pride that you're able to exist in a world that honestly wants to hurt you and it wants to kill you sometimes and i'm not saying that's the viewers or the listeners most people here are especially if you're coming to like learn some empathy and learn about some uh, on topics that you may not understand in the first place, you're already, you know, in a pretty awesome crowd. But I will tell you that like my personal experience is that a lot of us are so frightened and so scared. We really have bought into, like you were saying, John, the, um, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. And when someone else is violating this um, core tenet in your life, I can easily imagine why somebody would snap. Now, that's not my responsibility to take care of. That's definitely their responsibility and the community's responsibility to help out with. But that doesn't mean I'm not compassionate towards them, too. And so to, to round things around, let's talk about Dominique Lucius, if that's okay. Yeah, I wanted to just establish some basic, I know they're common questions that people are going to wrestle with while they listen to this story. And I wanted to make sure that we we covered some of those bases so that while we do talk about this, people have an understanding that this person, this fully fledged human being that we are getting to talk about now is far more than just the story that we're going to talk about, far more than just the identity that they discovered and that they they grew into, Um, far more than the stereotypes and the unconscious biases that we all hold about these things. So as we get into this part, keep in mind that this is a person. Um, This is a person that had friends and family 
And I hate the fact that I feel the need to remind people of that. Mm-hmm. But it is unfortunately a, a, a tragedy that is all too common right now. Um, and unfortunately, this is not going to be a lighthearted episode. <laughs> um, so please uh, tell us as, as much of the story as you are comfortable telling and um, uh, why, and and we'll start to talk about why we have you here uh, at this moment. Thank you so much for that table setting, John. Okay, so it was Thursday morning, actually, um, and this is just from the news report. So supposedly she, you know, offered this guy, and I I have to call it in, but yeah, offered a black man sex uh, for drugs. And I want to say that I say black man, knowing that unfortunately often it is black women black trans women who are killed and it is usually by black men but that does not mean that this is just a black man problem for all the societal reasons i mentioned but a black man who and we don't know the details shot dominique in the chest she was bleeding out he fled the scene someone saw him they caught his car he is currently in police custody and they're seeking second degree um, charge for murder. And uh, that's the graphic or gruesome story as best as I know it. I'm not here to traumatize people. I'm not here to, I'm not here to beg people to empathize. And like, if you weren't going to already, you know, how do I convince you? I'm, I'm not trying to do that. I'm really just trying to make sure that this story doesn't get lost in, you know, the 24-hour news cycle and talking about greener pastures when even though this is an incident, it's not an isolated incident. So Dominique Doing Me Lucius is a black trans woman who lived in Springfield, Missouri. I didn't know her personally, and I wish I did, but I had spoken to the family, and I've, I've done a lot of research, and um, and I, I say I have to do a lot of research because when we spoke to the family, you know, they're, they're grieving, and um, they, they talked about how they do most of their grieving in private. It's hard for them to reach out. Uh, I've made friends with some of them, and Dominique's cousin, uh, I added her on Facebook, and I saw one of her her stories, She said, say her name, Dominique Lucius, rest in power. In the very next video, she said, I was told that saying those words was supposed to help, and they don't. Mm. They just hurt. Those words were never meant to be said. And here I am, you know, I'm not a member of the family. I'm not black, but I am a transgender woman. And I am an out transgender woman. And when I came out to my parents, I know that was the first thing they said. They were they, they begged me not to be out. Because they know. You know, when, when I heard about Dominique's death Thursday morning, I was a little shocked and hurt and sad, but... I wasn't surprised. 
I wasn't surprised living in Springfield, Missouri my whole life and, and knowing what it's like here and knowing that everything environment that could be contributing to racialized violence, violence against a woman, violence against a transgender person, all of those elements exist in my city and we have not done nearly enough work to counter that. And the reason why so many transgender and genderqueer people are frustrated, are sad, I mean, you know, I, I got my crying out early. That's, I figure I'm the kind of person who I'll get my crying out early, I'm gonna strap down and do this work, and then I'm gonna, after tomorrow's vigil, I'm gonna cry for like a whole week. And we feel that way because we don't know if it's safe to live in our city. I mean, we, we know it's not safe, but you know, you can kind of lie to yourself a little bit and say that it's okay and that you'll be okay just to get through the day. But then something like this happens and you're just reminded that, no, 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 I'm not, you know, I'm not lying to myself. I'm not gaslighting myself. I know it's not safe here. And then what am I going to do about it? Because, you know, not all of us have the option to go, to move somewhere else, to, to find another place to live, especially when it's so hard to get a job and even a place of residence as a transgender person. So even if I don't share Dominique's race and I cannot speak to that aspect of her lived experience, I do know what it's like to be a transgender person out in today's society. Now I'm going to talk a little bit more about her story and how she's perceived, and this kind of disgusts me, but so but I'm, I've got to say it anyway. So the first thing that you're going to read in the news when you look up a headline of Dominique Lucius is that she apparently was on this dating website and she was wanting to exchange sex for drugs with this other man, and that's the person who shot her. Now, first off, we do not hear this level of detail about someone's life unless they're black. We don't put the victim on trial unless they're black. We're going to give you information, and this is the police, and then the reporters who then, you know, keep on following this, this story. They're going to tell you all these things that is completely out of context, that doesn't include any humanizing factors, that's going to tell you, this person isn't your concern. Don't worry about it. Your child isn't going to be like her. And you know what? Your child may not be like her because the reasons why I say there are, are environmental factors is, well, first off, I'm a person who grew up with relatively more economic privilege. You know, my parents owned a business, so that means that I have a certain amount of, um, thankfully, a security net. If I was down on luck, would I ever need to exchange sex for drugs? No, I would just buy the drugs. I wouldn't have to put myself in a compromising position in the first place. I might not even have to have to be on drugs because I, I don't have to worry about food being on my table at the end of the day or whether I have a warm place to sleep. The reason why people take drugs often is because they want to escape the environment that we've put them in. So do I blame this person who shot Dominique? Sure, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that there's some blame place, but am I going to let the rest of my city not be held accountable for the environment that we create, the rest of this country not be responsible for the environment that we create that makes it so easy for, and I'm sorry to say this, for especially a man to say, I have the right to kill this woman, for, you know, in other situations, a white person to say, I have the right to kill this person of color. And for this cisgendered person to say, I have the right to kill this trans person. 
I don't see a way forward unless we face these, what I see as truths, and own them, and then just say, I don't blame you for the way this country is. We all grew up in it. We all know why it is. But what can we do from this point forward to change that together? I think that's really powerful, especially living where we do. You mentioned all of the factors that would potentially contribute to the likelihood of violence against a person of color, against a woman, against a transgendered person. Um, Can you talk a little bit more about how those how those factors come together um, and how you see that as a leader in the LGBTQ community here in Springfield specifically. Um, I mean, we, we've talked a lot about uh, representation and about systemic racism. And so we know like on a macro scale how those things come together, but how does that work in a local community when it's not that big, broad spectrum? What does that look like at home? Sure, day to day. It's hard because like when someone looks at you funny, You don't know if it's because you're Asian, which I got funny looks before I came out. You don't know if it's because you're transgender. You don't know if it's because you you wore your shirt on backwards. So I don't ever want to assume when someone gives me a funny look that it's for any particular reason. And, you know, at different times in my life, I was more sensitive to that or not. But um, what I can tell you is embarrassing, but I'll I'll talk about my personal life, okay? Um, And John knows this because John's been a friend for many years, but... um, I'm somebody who's always searched for like really awesome partnership and romantic love and and someone who will really care about me and and allow me to care about them in just a really special way. And it's so hard. It's so hard just feeling seen as a human being um, and knowing why, you know, is, is it me? Is it something like I did? Or is it a personality trait that doesn't work? Or is it one of my identities? Because... Um, before I came out as trans, I knew what my sexual orientation was, uh, which is kind of common. So like as a teenager, I liked guys. Um, I thought I was a guy, so I considered myself to be a gay man. <laughs> and, um, I spent a lot of time trying to find, um, the right partner. And I finally found this amazing other gay man and we dated for six and a half years and everything seemed fine, but something was a little bit funny. And what I realized was that every time um, we slept together, I felt him place this illusion over me of like what a, what a, what another man would be, or you know, placing this illusion of a man onto me that didn't fit. I you know, I there's something tender in me that I wanted to be cared by, and these are all funny words because we you know human beings are fucked up. We, we don't really know what we want sometimes and we don't even understand our own gender, but I could tell there was something missing in our interactions. And that was, and it's so funny because, you know, years later when I came out, you know, that partner said, oh, suddenly this makes sense. And, and, and gender is often like that. It's like a puzzle that you're missing some pieces and then you finally put it together in the right configuration. And it's not that you're right, John, it's not something that you're, you're something new that you turn a flip, a switch that you flip on one day, but it is like, something that like with the benefit of hindsight, everything just makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. And so here I was a gay man trying to find, I think like a straight man or somebody who could see me as a woman. And I didn't, and of course that's going to get you in trouble, right? Cause you're going after people who may not like, 
be capable of loving you, and who might have all the more reason to be violent in a situation of romance or attraction. So like anytime I admitted my feelings to somebody, like wanting to love somebody, I almost felt like I was confessing to a crime or like, you know, it wasn't like, you know, I think, and this is my imagination perhaps because I've never been a straight person um, before, it's a straight person before, but I also imagine like when someone tells you they love them, it's like a huge compliment. Like, oh my gosh, this person adores me. They, they treasure our friendship. You know, they, they could see themselves spending their lives with me. When I would come to somebody, I would feel like, almost like I had to apologize for being in love with them. Mm-hmm. And I still feel that to this day somewhat, you know. Um, even as a trans woman, I've been with um, some people who consider themselves straight. And that's great because um, that's actually the way I figured out that I was a transgender woman, is that as a gay man... I wanted to find transgender men attractive. And there was some weird thing in my head where you could be a man or a woman, or you could be somewhere in between, not really have a gender or be a gender, or you could be a trans man or a trans woman. And that really bothered me because like, you know, all trans people want to be seen as is the gender they identify as. They don't want that trans in front of it. That's why these days we say, um, I might identify as a woman of trans experience because I'm a woman first and trans is just how I got here. And so um, I was doing the self-work, like, why am I not attracted to trans men? Why am I not attracted to trans men? And I actually did this, like, seven years ago when I had realized that I wasn't attracted to other Asians, despite being, you know, Chinese-Filipino myself. What I realized back then is, you know, I grew up with Western media, and I grew up with all these, you know, people saying that the most, oh my gosh, this person's so attractive, and you're almost always going to imagine a white person when you hear those words. And as an Asian male at the time, like you're never going to imagine an Asian male because especially Asian males are Asian men are desexualized. You're, they're only allowed to be comedians or martial artists and nothing in between, not have any richness or depth or complexity. Um, that's changing. Uh, Steve Jung is doing really fantastic with that as an actor. Like he's he's phenomenal and there's great luminaries, but that is not the norm. And so. Um, I could not find Asian men attractive as a gay Asian man at the time. And I did the work and it took me a couple months, but I realized, oh my gosh, every race has things that are so beautiful about them. If I'm trying to look for like cheek, a certain kind of cheekbones and a certain kind of nose and eyes, of course I'm not going to find people of that race attractive. No, they have to have, you know, <laughs> they don't have to have things that I think they should have. People are diverse and they can be beautiful and magnificent. And so a lot of this work has just been because, um, you know, I wanted to be kind to other people. And here I was, not even realizing I was transgender myself. And um, that was a huge shock. I love hearing you say that it was a shock. Um, in my house, we're kind of on a journey right now um, around things relating to gender. Um, my kids are 13 and 11 and, uh, we're in that place of, you know, is this interesting because it's cool and popular culture? Is it interesting because it resonates with me on a deep level? Um, and so I love hearing you say that you were shocked by that discovery because, uh, to me that just clearly indicates that this was something that you, 
you found in working on you and making you better. It wasn't something that other people told you you needed to be to accomplish the thing you wanted to accomplish. Um, sure. And let me tell you that I, I, I find really awesome that you said that, it, that gender was even a conversation in your household. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it's not surprising to me that you said the words like, oh, is this something cool? <laughs> it's, it would it breaks my mind growing up in the Midwest, conservative Catholic, <laughs> that, you know, gender identity could be cool or being gay right. could be cool or LGBTQ of any kind. You know, of course, it's been forever that people have said, you know, is this a phase or not? I'm, I'm, my parents, you know, asked me, are, are you sure? Are you sure? And I'll tell you, most people, some, or actually, I won't say most people. Some people do know from like an early, early age, like six years old. And some people like me take a little bit of time to figure it out because we didn't have the language for it. That's mm-hmm. that's been a real thing, just having the language to understand yourself. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited for my kids that they have the opportunity to like, that this could be something that they're just internalizing rather than externalizing. Um, But at the same time, I want to be so, so careful to respect the identities that people have fought and literally died for. Um, I've given them many a, a TV drama monologue about, you know, you absolutely may not co-opt something like this that doesn't belong to you because identities are not those things. They're not characteristics. They're not things that we like. Um, they are a part of who we are. And so hopefully they've, you know, they've heard those, those, this is us type monologues and, and they're, (laughs) they're working on that. But, um, I'm just so excited that they have so many people that they can look to as examples, um, that it, it, like I even have to consider, is this something that you're that you're picking up because it's cool? Um, and I know that that sounds very strange, but no, living no, no, no. in a part of the country that is so incredibly conservative, almost every religious denomination we have here, we have the conservative version of. Um, and in a place that can be so hostile to people of other gender and sexual identities, it's just, it is nice to me that they have that perspective that they wouldn't otherwise have. Thank you so much for sharing that with me, Robin. Say that again. Can I offer something to you, though? Please. Oh, thank you so much for, for telling me. And I just wanted to know if I could offer you something. Um, you know, I, I really am so glad you have the respect and... Um, the solemnness and sacredness as a as a baseline for gender but if i can give my own perspective i you know if there's death to be had let it not lead to more more sorrow and somberness and let it be open to joy my um personal vision for the world and perhaps you know i've heard this from other people is like not to look at gender as the be all end all or to or to have to be serious why can't it be like trying on clothes like trying on an identity a label the same as you know you might be goth as as a teenager um we often put so much pressure on kids to have all the answers about themselves or to make sure that you know they're certain before coming out because we're not doing that for them. We're well, you might be, but most people ask their kids if they're certain because they know how other people will treat them yeah. if they take on that label. 
But what if, what if, you know, we lived in a world that was safe enough that this kid could try on, am I transgender? Am I genderqueer? And they actually get to explore that. And maybe, maybe they aren't. But if they find themselves as cisgender or gay or any other, you know, identity, they'll be more sure because they had that opportunity to play and to try things on and to do so in a way where they can make mistakes. We've talked about a couple of things that I think apply specifically back to Miss um, Lucius. And that is that, one, let me rephrase this. We've talked about a couple of things that relate to her that are important because they, they paint the situational picture that many, 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 many transgender women find themselves in and transgender people at large. Um, but this inability to find stable work because of societal expectations and norms and, and mores and a, because of that, finding work where they can, what they can, because everybody has to pay the bills. And that puts them into increased vulnerable, increasingly vulnerable situations where they're at a higher situation. So Dominique occupied so many layers of, of, of threat. If we want to break it down somewhat coldly, she was a person of color. She was black. She was a transgender woman. And those two things right there already put her at two different levels of increased risk of facing violence, unfortunately, in her life. On top of that, in this situation, she was, she was, I guess, trading sex for drugs. Um, meaning to me, when I think about that, I think about why is that all she had to offer? Potentially. Is that just the thing that she enjoyed? Potentially. Either way, it doesn't really matter because the reality of the situation is that that does put her in an area of increased vulnerability and increased mm -hmm. risk for violence against her, unfortunately. And the, the, the outcome of that situation is that she was murdered. And it's not fair in our country that somebody who occupies that position is at a greater risk of facing harm, facing violence, facing being killed simply because of how they identify, who they are as a person. You know, two out of those three things I would argue were out of her control. She, I, I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody would choose to identify as a transgender person in our modern society because of the risk that that, that that brings because of the judgment that they will face. And Andy, you and I have had this conversation multiple times and I'm not going to tell your part of the story, but it was through this conversation, actually talking with you specifically that I finally began to break out of the, the, upbringing that I had. I was raised Southern Baptist. I mean, it is, it's still a part of me. People that listen to this show 
have probably picked up on the references that I make to the religion that I grew up in because it's second nature to me. It's just my brain can default to thinking of those, those allegories and those connections. But the conversation about why would anybody choose this difficult road when they know that they're going to face judgment um, is what put me down the road of, of understanding, I think, that this, the, the myth of, of choosing to be LGBTQ plus. Plus does a lot of work, as I am <laughs> more increasingly understanding. And I think that gets confusing for people who do not occupy that identity because from the outside looking in, it can seem like a choice. It can seem sudden because they, we on the outside don't see the months or years or sometimes decades of thought and struggle and fighting that goes into understanding this about ourselves. And so what is in reality a long journey for a lot of people filled with many missteps and many struggles and many false identities, I think I'm this, as you said, you thought you were a gay man for the longest time. Um, and then you have changed your identity. And I think from the outside, it looks like, oh, they've chosen to be something else. When in reality, it's just that the puzzle piece clicked into place finally. Mm -hmm. That journey of understanding these complex emotions and situations and feelings has finally lended or has finally yielded some progress in untangling those complicated things. So <laughs> in a very, very odd sense, that is exactly why Fireside Breakdowns exists is because everything that we talk about is like that. It's a puzzle. And sometimes it takes a long time of tinkering with those puzzles for it to click into place and be like, oh, mm -hmm. it's not what I thought. It's different than I thought. So I want to dispel right now that mentality. I would like to. I know I won't be able to. But I would like to dispel the mentality that this is some sort of choice that is made for attention. That irks me to no end <laughs> now that I'm older. <laughs> um, and I don't think... I don't think Dominique would have chosen these things for herself if she had been able to choose. I don't think she would have ended up in this situation if it had truly been a choice. Let's talk about some things. <laughs> so first off, yeah, I, I'm just I, seeding the no, ground no, here. No, you no, no I'm so glad. Want. I'm so glad. Um, I really want to honor what you brought into the room, John, because I feel like... Um, let me just start with this. Uh, I consider John one of my best friends and one of my treasured, treasured friends in this lifetime. And people are going to know how we got you on the show, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> we have we have pool now. We got star power. That's what I want them to think. <laughs> ah. Well, I think that um, I, I'm just going to bring this in the room. Still, sorry, uh, John. The story that he mentioned. To him, it, it, I think it's like my story. It's like your process of discovering that gay people or transgender people aren't, you know, aren't devils in disguise wasn't a sudden process either. It was one that no. happened from many times. So long to time. you, it might have taken a long time. But to me, 
I had no clue that this internal journey was going on. Um, I made friends with John when we were, um, he was acting in a, in a film that was being shot at my basement. Um, some sort of like, I know, right? No, it was about like an assassin. Okay. It's, it was like a college film type thing. Um, oh man, that was so long ago. So, so long, ago. long ago. And, um, we just nerded out and geeked out about the same things. And we found ourselves hanging out and, and talking about stuff. And all this time, I had no clue that John was raised to think that I was evil. Literally the incarnation of evil. And um, I don't want to throw your mom under the bus. I'll throw my, my own parents under the bus later. Um, but um, you had told me that she had taught you that, you know, all gay people were bad. And at the time, like, we hung out. You were keeping on expecting, like, maybe the other shoe to drop or me to take off my, my mask and, you know, <laughs> But um, I had no clue. And so years later, I find out, John tells me, oh, um, I left my church because of you. <laughs> I'm like, what? Uh, he left his church because he realized that what they were telling him wasn't true. What they were telling him about people like me. And, and that just meant the world to me. It just, it just meant the world to me. Um, so I, I want to say that, like, everything that you said there about um, how no one would choose this or, like, you know, like, that, that that kind of way of like understanding transgender people, I, I think that's really legitimate. But I, I want to take it a step further. And I want to say that um, one issue with that type of thinking is like starting to already dehumanize us in the other direction. Where mm. we're victims, where we're suffering right. from something, you know, that we wouldn't that we wouldn't dare choose. I'll tell you, I think every every cis man, if you consider yourself, you know, a man and you're assigned male at birth and you're fine with that. I wish every one of you wears a dress tonight, you know, borrow it from a friend or go to a thrift store or get it from your wife. And I wish that, you know, every cis woman wore, you know, some pairs of slacks and like some or jeans and like, you know, a, a t-shirt and like a jacket and like, and, and, and look at yourself in the mirror and just, and just play and look at it. Because like, what I can tell you is first off, um, Limited gender roles means you have way less clothing you can wear. Mm-hmm. Like men have so few options. Little you can do with your hair. Um, and and for women, it means less pockets in your life unless Ugh. you really search for it. Yes. Um, it means like, ha- and these are things I had to learn over the course of months, like catching your skirt in the um, in the doorway. I'm sure that doesn't happen to adult women, but I'm sure that I was probably no, it, it does. You know, something... Oh, it does? Okay, yeah, yeah. There are, and um, and it might mean, like, inconvenient um, shoes that, you know, you feel at the end of the night, oh, my gosh, I really just w- wish I could have wore a pair of sneakers. Um, so first off, like, I think the gender um, queer experience is ph- phenomenal. There are right, even, like, right. straight people, cis people who, um, who like wearing clothes that are, because clothes don't have a gender. They may traditionally be for men or for women, but they don't have a gender. So I'm going to get off my soapbox here in a little bit. But what I want to say is that um, when we when we talk about this experience to our kids, like, oh my gosh, did so you know, Dominique Lucius died, and what does that mean? If we leave that as the only thing they ever hear about transgender and genderqueer people, someday if they discover they're that, that might be a reason why they commit suicide. Yeah, that might be a reason why they don't see any possibility for for happiness or joy or partnership like i was talking about for my own self in the future i have to be defiant and like almost insane and crazy to say these days you know i don't even bother um you know i'm respectful but i don't i don't determine what the other person says like um if i think that person is cis or straight or couldn't possibly love me 
that's my concern and my worry. But I don't bring that in spaces with me when, when, whenever I want to, like, whenever I tell someone my feelings, I just own my feelings and I'll let them decide. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, betray my own feelings. I'm not going to think that my love is a curse because my love is a gift. And that took me, John and Robin, that took me, you know, the last three years to really work on. And I'll tell you, um, beyond the tragedy of Dominique, when I look at pictures of her, she is so beautiful and you can tell she knows it. Mm-hmm. That's what I was going to actually bring up. Um, and I, I in no way want to paint the idea or that I hold the idea that it, that, uh, anybody in the lgbtq plus community is a victim of the way that they are because that's that's not i know you don't true. mean that but that's the I, way that right. we're taught you know it's that's a very unconscious want... thing that comes out and i like i don't consciously think that but i think i think that was an unconscious like uh perception that i was holding that i didn't realize until you mentioned it um but it, dominique specifically i have i've gone through some photos in the timeline just to familiarize myself with her life and she looks so happy it was one of the things i noticed mm-hmm. was this is not a person who was who was suffering and now i mean sorry not a person who was suffering because of their identity now i understand obviously that what we put on our timelines and on our social media is not the full picture right understanding that and controlling for that mentally i see a person who lived a vibrant life who had experiences that they loved and enjoyed and people who loved them for who they were and i want like i don't think we should lose sight of that while we discuss how difficult things can be definitely i mean for somebody this is an open invitation but if anyone if you want to forward anyone who contacts you through fireside breakdowns i will send them my facebook profile a facebook profile yeah and they can look at pictures of me and you can tell the difference between me identifying as a man and being so deeply bone deep uncomfortable and not realizing it and then pictures of me as a woman and you can see for the first time real genuine smiles on my face and that's what i saw in dominique's profile too i saw you know um some trans people are like this. I saw photos only up to, you know, probably when they transitioned over socially. Mm-hmm. And they, they, she probably untagged herself or created a new profile. And so you only see her post her social transition. Right. And yeah, she's, I can't tell you if she's happy or not, but you can tell that there's real joy there. Mm-hmm. Right. And there are definitely a lot of moments of and it. And to me, I saw this confidence, like, and I'm not going to, and we were already almost joking about like a, a video in my basement and, and porn and ha 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 sex. And like, we, we, you know, conservatively raised people have this like unconscious need to like, if it's if anything to do with sex, it's to be ashamed of. But I saw like the sexual confidence in Dominique where she was probably very proud of how she looked and probably, you know, probably how, how men treated her or, or looked at her. And I'll tell you, that is something I'm deeply lacking in my own life and that I am so uncomfortable and unconfident with. And one thing I'm trying to take out of her death is that when one life, one light is snuffed out, the only way, the only way I think that there's justice in the world is to somehow find and spread that light amongst ourselves. So because of Dominique, I'm really trying to own how beautiful I am and how amazing I am because you know, if 
if there's if there's another reason I'm I'm here, it's not just for transgender children. It's for everybody because like when we live in a world where we can accept our bodies and who we are and how we identify, I just see so much more freedom for everybody. So much, you know, how many of us go on diets or how many of us work out not just because it's a good thing or a healthy thing thing to do, but because we don't like the look of our own bodies because we don't hmm. feel like. You know, we're sexually attractive to the gender that we, you know, want to attract. Um, yeah. And I'll tell you that you can search for that your whole life. I, I have in so many levels, but I think it the work really just comes from inside and it comes from just believing in yourself. And, and that's what I see in Dominique. And, you know, maybe I'm oversimplifying her or maybe I'm trying to, you know, find some hope in a very sad situation. But it's, it's something that I've taken away that I'm, I'm really trying to take to heart. There's a lot at play here that you touched on that we need to address as a society. So we have to untangle a lot about, you know, how we make space for our marginalized communities um, in, in, in the world, but in the United States. And also other things that come into play here that I can see these, these echoes of, um, these ideas of what is it to be a man, what is it to be a, a woman, um, toxic masculinity comes in, uh, maybe not specifically no, in this case, does. but I, I, I think, think it does. if I had to guess, I think that would play a large portion of what happened. And this idea of, of, of appropriate responses to to these, these, to, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying trying to say, but let's talk about that though. Let's talk about responses. Let's talk about moving forward. Right. Cause what do we do? What do we do about this? Yeah. How do we, how do we move forward from a tragedy like this? Because what's going to happen and we've all seen it before is people are going to be upset. People are going to say our, our thoughts and prayers are with you, which is a phrase that is beginning to make me sick to my stomach whenever I see it. Oh, just now I have, White dude, lots of privilege. I got it. That's got to be overcome. Um, I joke, but seriously, like that's probably what's insulated me from how empty those words are, um, because you know people can offer that and they've got good intentions, I suppose, but they don't do anything, and that's I'm afraid what's going to happen because it's happened over and over and over and over again. Unfortunately, this is not a unique circumstance. Unfortunately, this is something that statistically will happen again mm-hmm. right so yeah well and and we, we talked have about to act different earlier that you get the thoughts and prayers because the news coverage at least the local news coverage um i will say that when i was looking at this story on um on lgbtq relevant sites they didn't put in a lot of those disqualifying factors right the the factors that that reduce our levels of empathy. And, and so I, I definitely loved reading those stories a lot more. Um, right. but, but what the news coverage does is give us every opportunity to de-empathize with the situation, right? If we, um, if we present Dominique as a drug addict and as a sex worker or someone who was willing to trade sex for drugs, then automatically those are two boxes that people in our very conservative, um, very white, community are able to disassociate with well i don't need to be concerned about that because that's not something that affects 
my community. Um, right. So allow yeah, me to I interject. Mean, just how really do quick. we move forward when, when the information that we're given encourages us to de-empathize rather than empathize? I want to. I want to. I do want to discuss that. I want to draw a parallel for people to consider because I've been. I've been thinking about it. You. If you don't think that this is a problem, if you don't think that this is something that occurs, I, w- I want you to think about how George Floyd was covered last year. How he's being how, covered right now. Well, yes, I would say that there has been an improvement in the coverage. but <laughs> not Sorry, this it, is coming from like a BIPOC perspective. What, Robin, can you? I, sorry, uh, yeah. can you rein in Let's, this? Hold no. on, hold on, hold on. Let me say... This is a nuance podcast, okay? Yeah. So an improvement does not mean that the coverage is good. Right, right. It means it is better than it initially was. And that is literally all I am saying. Well, and I think we also have to acknowledge that much of that improvement came um, in the wake of public sentiment, right? So as we saw sentiment toward George Floyd um, increase in positivity, then we saw the news coverage increase in positivity. Right. They literally, this isn't the George Floyd podcast episode, but they literally tried to discredit him saying mama because they knew the power of 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 calling out for your mother, calling out for your mother. Yeah. Can you believe that? So that's what I'm saying. Like, look at the defense and I've watched every, almost every hour of, of the trial. And sorry, real quick, do we call it the George Floyd trial or do we call it the Derek Chauvin trial? It is the Derek Chauvin trial. Yeah. And I don't think we've I don't think we've slipped up. I don't think we've said cool. the no, George no, no. Floyd we trial. Haven't. But if we did, don't call it that. George <laughs> Floyd's not on trial. George Floyd's the victim. Derek Chauvin's on trial. He's the guy who murdered him. Yeah. Uh, that's a whole different episode. Yeah, no, we haven't but... even t- like we have <laughs> not touched that actually. <laughs> Sorry, and I only bring that up because that's what's happening to Dominique right now. Right. You know exactly. She's that's what I'm saying. On trial. It's, the, on it's a direct trial. parallel. So the first step towards healing is that step of accountability, right? I mean, I didn't hear this from the police department, who, by the way, originally misgendered Dominique, which is like releasing um, information about a person, like their legal information, like calling her by her dead name, um, which is basically the name that she used before she transitioned. It's like one of the worst dehumanizing things you can do. They started with that. They reported it that way. And then they, the very first top, top information was about, you know, drugs and sex and not the humanity of this person. So that's yeah. the first way we begin to heal by talking about these people like they're human beings. And like, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Robin, like that didn't happen about uh, George Floyd until there was that public outcry, until there were people who cared, you know? So that's the first step is we have to care. We have to, you know, even if this person isn't my cousin or my sister, and even if we don't think they could be, they were a human being and they were someone's cousin. They were someone's sister and, you know, someone that we could love. Right. Um, um, I want, I, 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 that's step one, how we react to that and how we change things. We, we view them as a human being. And I, w- I want to challenge uh, you, actually. Sure. Uh-huh, here I come. Um, but everybody that's listening to this is we, we use the argument a lot in our humanization efforts to say that's somebody's ex, that's somebody's, you know, mom, that's somebody's sister. It doesn't matter. The sentence should stop at that somebody. Sure. So 
I know how tempting it is to fall into that trap, but they shouldn't have to be, they shouldn't have to be a relation or important or owned by quote unquote or belong to anybody else because they as a human being dominique as a human being had value and did not deserve to be dehumanized did not deserve to be murdered did not deserve to be treated like they were not this human being and let's then open the conversation to say let's not just take credit for the people who are dead and let's say that most likely dominique felt all those things felt objectified, dehumanized before she died. Right. And, you know, that happens to me as a transgender woman. That happens to every single one of my friends. And um, it's not just the killing. This country is killing us slowly in so many ways and not taking responsibility for it. Right. So step one, police how you think. Figure it out. Like, if you are hearing these stories and... Even if, even if, like, I hope people that don't understand LGBTQ+, that don't understand trans experiences and trans people, I hope that they are listening. If you don't have empathy for these people, for their experiences, I challenge you to start by just thinking of them as people and not as a as Andy pointed out earlier, a trans person, but they are a person first. Start there and see how that directs your thinking from that point on. Don't ever think, would I want a trans person to be able to do XYZ thing? Would I want a trans person to be treated XYZ way? Just think, would I want a person to experience this thing? I don't think your average listener to this podcast has that issue, you know? Like, that's why they're listening in the first place. So I guess, like, what I want to say is, like, the way that you don't get exhausted and you don't get tired is, honestly, you take better care of yourself. And this is something I have to work on myself. But, like, how many of us... Yeah. Hold on. Andy Sun running running yourself <laughs> ragged i've never known such a thing to be the case or right. true about first, both of yeah. us and something that we commiserated and bonded about but for how years many people it. listening to this podcast can relate to that like i mm. would i want to make the world a better place but i'm so tired you know i've got a bunch of kids they you know they go to sleep i barely have time for myself you know so there needs to be something happening in this country a movement you know i don't know if it's for universal income i don't know if it's for like better treatment in general but like so we're not all feeling like we're in survival mode and under the gun. And we've got all to somehow be tired, find a way to rest, and then come to a movement fully empowered. Instead of like, how many of us have wanted to do something good, even said we'd do it, and then we, we never followed through. And that's not necessarily, um, you know, a bad thing. Like, that's just a very human thing. But what I would say is like, sure, the empathy part, but... Take quality care of yourself. Invest in yourself in the way that you wish that you see these wonderful transgender people hopefully, you know, do. That the way that we embrace ourselves. Learn something from that. Find your grit, your resilience. The reason why, you know, if we want to be nationalistic, the reason why we're Americans, you know. And then help change the world, make it a better place. Just you don't need a heroic action. You just need to maybe kindly consider your friend like John did. You, maybe you need to have a conversation with your family. 
you might have to leave a space like a church that's preaching hate. Or if you're brave, you know, tell the pastor they're full of it along your way out. You know, there are ways that you can help out in the workplace. There are ways you can help out politically, like this Equality Act. You know, it's not the be-all, end-all, but look up what the Equality Act is. Ask your local senators, you know, and House of Representatives just to vote on it. There are so many ways, and, like, and all is just moving a space from where your heart is. And, like, and maybe maybe you don't relate to me at all in this conversation, and I, I can't make you do that. But if you do hear something that you feel like you understand a little bit more, I, I do ask that you create some quiet time and really just discern what it is you want to do in this world to make it a better place for everybody. Thanks. I think this has been a good conversation. Mm-hmm. I'm so um, grateful. Thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. We are, <laughs> we are the ones who should so be grateful. thanking you. So if, if this episode, if this discussion was something that you thought was important, that you enjoyed, or that at least brought good value to your life, we would greatly appreciate it if you would let us know by leaving us a review. You can find um, on the podcast notes a link that will walk you through how to leave a review for us on whatever your podcast listening platform of choice is, as long as it allows a review, of course. Also, if you would like to speak with us directly, there are many, many ways to reach out to us. You can find us on just about every one of the main social medias, Facebook, Instagram, so uh, Twitter, by searching Fireside Breakdowns. You can also email us at firesidebreakdowns at gmail.com. If there is anything that you would like to do to help, if you have something that you can offer in this time, um, as we remember uh, Dominique Lucius and, and talk about their their life um if andy touched you in some way you can reach out to us and we will happily and gladly relay the message or the information or whatever it is and i think with that robin we deserve some good news and this is particularly relevant good news um this is courtesy of good 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 co on instagram um which is one of my favorite resources for good news. That's mostly all that they cover, um, especially when times seem to be heavy and uh, difficult to process. So um, this is from their Instagram account. According to a 2017 report by the National Center for Trans Equality, over 40% of black transgender women report having experienced homelessness in their lifetimes. And that compares to one third of the overall transgender population in the United States. Uh, But there is a Memphis, Tennessee based organization called My Sister's House, which is working to solve homelessness among the transgender community by building tiny homes. Uh, They broke ground on a tiny home project that features 20 homes in January. Um, And then in addition to this, they also uh, work with transgender people to help them find doctors and social groups and safe spaces. They provide emergency shelter, access to sexual health services, social services, survival kits, and hot meals to people experiencing homelessness. Um, So while we did spend quite a bit of time talking about the differing levels of intersectionality that 
Dominique must have experienced in her life. Um, we don't know specifically what experiences she had, um, but we do know that that the layers of identity that that she had um, probably intersected in ways that they don't for other people in other communities. Um, so it is good to see that there are organizations out there specifically recognizing those intersectional issues and then working with those communities to help them in not only um, an existential way, but also in a very tangible and very practical way. And if you are interested in uh, My Sister's House, the, the website is mshmemphis.org. I don't think it is uh, a bad thing to blast out as many organizations as we can that are addressing the complicated issues facing uh, the transgender community. Absolutely. Um, so. And um, and Good 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 Co. on Instagram also has uh, one of their posts as a resource for um, ways to support organizations that are supporting the transgender community right now. So uh, I would highly suggest looking that up. Awesome. That is great news. We are happy that there are people like that in the world today. We need more people like that, I think. Until next week, I know we say it every week, but seriously, take care of each other. 